previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. Anyway, this show is about food. This show is about food. This is about how last night you bustered me? What does that mean? To buster. I mean, because you I think I brought a, I in the son I never message. had? No, Pablo? the son that you always wanted. <laughs> I get a text message. I'm having a barbecue with Pablo. Hey, stop by if you want. But you sent a message to me at 548 as we're, as we're finishing dinner and getting ready for bath time. How was the chicken? I waited till the last you chicken it. was good. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Have you rethought that in any way? No, not at all. Pablo texted me. Yeah. <clears throat> now we're just going to cut you out. Good to know. Um, number one announcement today is that this is not a show about food. But the number one A announcement, it's Michael's birthday today. Is Michael. it? Happy Thank birthday. You. It's oh, Michael's wow. birthday Made today. Made a nice chimichurri last night for tonight's steaks. Happy birthday to Michael. Pisces. Yes. Uh, Aries. 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 We're into Aries. That's right. Sorry. This that's is from much, Adam Goldberg of Pop-Up Bagels. Oh, by the way, oh, the girls are here today. I'm sorry. Jeannie and Liz are here today. Um, <laughs> we were going to have Jeannie and Liz here Anyway, and then yesterday, serendipitously, at about 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we find out that the Washington football team is going to be sold. So who better to bring on than somebody, A, who has lived her whole life here and has seen the disintegration of the football team, and B, somebody who has worked on this story from the beginning of this story. So we will get to all of that. Adam Goldberg was the person who, who... Baked for us, the pop-up bagels. Yes. Adam has hats. What is his slogan? It's Connecticut store. Not famous, but known. Yeah, so, uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm of the opinion that you're missing a word, which would be not yet famous, but known, or Ooh. not quite famous, but known. I think that rolls more easily off the tongue, but who am I to tell Adam how to run his business? So Adam writes, I hope you enjoyed your pop-up bagels as much as I enjoyed baking them for you. I am in the water mitigation business, but started baking bagels as a hobby about three years ago out of sheer boredom during our COVID lockdown in Connecticut. I perfected the recipe, gave them away to friends and family for months, and started selling them out of the back of a commercial kitchen in town. Today, we have five locations wow. across wow. New York City and Connecticut and are the back-to-back reigning champions of the best bagel in New York. We don't sell sliced bagels or bagel sandwiches, sorry, just a paper bag of hot bagels to rip and dip into our rotation of schmears. And by the way, wow. the, the, the cream cheese, the... Chive. Chive I gave to you. How good was that? Fantastic. Okay, well, the pimento is spectacular. It's like right out of Augusta. It's really great. I don't profess to be a loyal little quite yet. I actually hear the show stinks beyond belief. But when I mentioned to a true loyal little, and now my bagel agent, that I was going to be in the DMV bagel this agent. week, a quick text to our mutual friend Tom Jones, not that Tom Jones, an all-points bulletin to find an oven to bake bagels, and here we are. Special thanks to our friends at District Bagels, the local bagel influencers, for their kitchen this morning. Wow. These bagels were great. Yes. They were great, okay? Really? I gave a bunch away to my neighbors. I knocked on their doors. I handed to them, and they all love them. And that's not the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing. I know Adam very well. He's married to close family friend's daughter. He started this years ago, and it's taking off. Huge in the Hamptons during the summer. DG. You're kidding me, right? It's not possible, right? It's not possible that DG said he went to his wedding. Yeah. It's not that can't be. It's ubiquitous. Uh, I, right? Yeah. It can't be. Yeah. Can't be. Can I get to one other thing? Sure. One other thing before we get to the Washington football team, something Jeannie and I talked about yesterday. How does this kid get access to all of this classified information? How are we allowing a 21-year-old kid access to stuff that can bring down the world? He's printing it out. What? Seems a bit of an oversight there. Well, he's got to go to jail. I understand. Oh, yeah. He's got to go. I don't think he has to die, but he's got to go to jail. I I think you want to send a message. I think Why? you really want to send a message to this kid. I don't know whether it's... This is seditious. Uh, yes, yes. You can't... What do you... And it's, uh, you know what? How does he get his hands on it? He's 21 in the Air National Guard? Yes. In Massachusetts? If he can get this, if I had any brains, I could get this. <laughs> right? Here's the bottom line. There are no secrets anymore. Just forget about it. It's okay? you and Carly Simon. Yeah. There's Just no secrets. 
How can this be? How did it float around on like a chat room for so long? For like months. a gaming chat room yeah. or something like that. For yeah. months, people yeah. have had access to this and nobody in the government knew? Yeah, again. I mean, feels, come on. Feels like an oversight somewhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A fail. <laughs> Just, <laughs> epic fail. How can this be? I mean, this guy is saying, hey, look at this. Russia's army was gutted. Let me give you the numbers on it. How does he have this? And he just made sure everybody was just going to keep it in that narrow little chat room that it would yeah. never seep out beyond the walls of that Well, the chat internet's room. known for containment. Absolutely. Right. Now, nobody's going to talk about this, right? This is okay, an, we're it's, good. It's an unbelievable failure of vetting human beings who work for you. Right? Well, yes, but the fact that it was plausible and possible and obviously not that hard. This guy did it. But, you know, if not this this guy, maybe another one. So I they, mean, it, they it, go to his house, right? Cape he Cod. lives with his parents. Cape Cod. Yeah, they go to his house. <laughs> and he probably thinks, well, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? What did I do? I was just... I was just talking to my friends. It's no big deal, right? Well, it did was you press see- control P. <laughs> you know, did you see the shot of him before they, they raided the house? Huh. He's just up on his deck reading a book. Just a shorts. guy. Yeah, just a 21-year-old kid. A kid. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the, the, the... This is a local show today. This is a local show in Washington. I am, and people know this, and Liz knows this because we've talked. I'm very surprised this happened. I thought Dan Snyder... His entire identity was wrapped up in owning the Washington football team. He grew up in Washington. He rooted for this team. He watched them win Super Bowls. The greatest joy of his life, I'm sure, was being able to buy that team when the original people who were supposed to own it, the Milstein brothers, were bounced out of the league 20x years ago. The second greatest joy in his life probably, honestly, was meeting Joe Gibbs and getting to hire Joe Gibbs at some point. He's a fan. He's a fanboy. I never thought he'd sell this because he'd just be another rich guy. You believed he would sell it. I also don't believe that the league would have forced him out because I think that's too much jeopardy for other owners. Now, I may be in a very small minority on my beliefs, but I am very surprised that this happened. I 100% agree with your setup that basically he had no public profile. Nobody would take his phone calls, you know, absent buying this team and it it meant all that it was his identity um but where i diverge or what i came to realize is he he really had no choice but to sell the team um because it was drowning in debt um and so there was going to be a reckoning of uh of, of having to get back in compliance with the debt ceiling, which the NFL had waived so he could buy out his partners. I mean, not to make this all wonky, but there was a time, just like you take out a mortgage, you know, at some point you, you got to pay it off. And, and but couldn't he, have, that, couldn't he have taken in minority partners to get that debt down? He did try that for a while, right. you know, not, not terribly long ago. There was no one who was going to buy 20% of this team at the valuation it was to have no vote, no say, you know, given the record of 24 years of what it's like to be a business partner, a minority partner in this enterprise. The last one ended in a lawsuit, you know, it, it didn't go well. Um, and then coupled with the debt issue was there's no way he was going to get a new stadium uh, politically uh, for, you know, in a year or two years. It was not going to happen. And, you know, the team is going to be moribund without a new stadium pretty soon. I mean, you could say it, it's there now. And all this coincided with a cratering of local revenues. They've gone from first to 32nd. I, I need, in, yeah, I need to stress this and, yeah. and bring Jean in on this because Jean grew up her whole life here. I came here in 1979. I came from New York City, where I worked at the New York Times. There's a lot of different teams in New York. Mm. There's not a dominant team. Each team has loyal and rabid rooters. When I came to Washington, I had never seen anything like the interest generated by the Washington football team. It probably, along with the Denver Broncos, was one of the two most important... Not, Well, important is the wrong word. Most successful. Dallas was more important. But Dallas did not have a hold on Dallas the way the Washington football team had a hold on Washington or the way the Denver football team had a hold on Denver. You grew up with this. To read in the paper in the last couple of weeks 
that only 23% of people who identify as sports fans look at the Washington football team as their primary interest was, has to be stunning beyond words. Studied beyond words. And of course, I think back then, the basketball team was still in Baltimore. Uh, I'm not oh. sure when the Caps arrived. That was sometime in the 70s. But anyway, I saw my first Washington football game in 1961 when Norm Sneed wow. was the quarterback. The stadium was pretty full. They were booing Norm Sneed. Yeah. <laughs> things changed. Even though the team was losing, things changed when Sonny Jurgensen came uh. from the Eagles and Norm Sneed went to the Eagles. The only trade with the Eagles from which the Reds, the Washington football team has benefited, I might add. <laughs> but it is so true. And, and I mean, it's a cliche to say this, but it cut across racial divides. It cut across political divides. It cut across class divides. You were in that stadium next to some guy in a tweed jacket with suede patches on his elbows and some guy who was a plumber from Largo. And it was the most wonderful, euphoric mm. feeling. And I don't think I'm lionizing that. I think mm -hmm. that was really true. Um, so, yes, it has been painful to watch. I mean, even through the ups and downs, George Allen comes and goes. I mean, Gibbs comes and goes. Even through those ups and downs, you thought, well, it'll bounce back somehow. And once that guy took over... It wasn't bouncing any place. I don't think he set out to destroy the franchise no, no, on any no. level. I think a lot of his hires are defendable, and a lot of his hires were good hires. They may not have worked out a lot of things he tried to do because he was a fan. He tried to do yeah. a lot of things. But it disintegrated while he was the owner to a degree that is just unbelievable to me. 23% of the people care most about that team. 99% of the people cared about it. You could, yeah. when the sports radio station opened in the day after Memorial Day in 1992, we could have spent every day of the year talking about yes. the Washington football team and nobody would have complained. They would have applauded. Yeah. That's how dominant that thing was. That it's I I've not seen anything like this in any city. You well, know? Liz can weigh in about this, but I think you're being too kind to him about his hiring. I think he wanted toys in his toy box, and he Vinny Serrato. Okay. Serrato was a bad hire, but I can defend trying to hire and hiring Spurrier. I can defend that Spurrier was a great college coach. You thought maybe this would work, sir. So I can defend hiring Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera's, you know. But L Bruce Allen? Those are, yeah. Those were those facilitators. Are, he hired facilitators. Yes, yes. The people next to him. Yes. Okay, not the people. They are on the same line as him. I'm talking about the on-field hires that Yeah, he no, but he had all those, you know, stars that were burnt out yeah. arrive here and spent tons of money on them. Who was the big fat guy, Nigel? Fruits? Dana Stubblefield? That's the one that stands <laughs> out. I-95. Yeah. I-95. He brought in um, Bruce Smith, Deion Sanders, Mark Carrier, Jeff George, you know, mm. and you can see individually a fan would think that's a great thing. Yeah. Plus, I'd sell some tickets. You can see his thinking maybe, but the staggering disconnect with what that does to a locker room when you've drafted a young cornerback and then you bring in Deion Sanders. I mean, like, that's just one example. You you gum up all the progression, yes. the building of a team, the, the locker room dynamics. The meritocracy. Was, I mean, I was covering the team then. It was just insane. But that's just one little window that doesn't convey how... To your point, and I've always thought I should get like an honorary MBA for for my service in in just chronicling. Although I, I've still never made sense of it, how can you piss away? Can I say that? Well, how did. can you squander a brand like yes. a brand so dominant in yeah. twenty four years? You take it from where it is to just. I mean, people don't go. The gutter. It's like they sell more tickets to opposing that teams. You could, but but there's a lot more there. I agree with Gene than just some ill-advised hires or being a little too fanboy. And both of those were significant. I mean, to me, I think the ultimate fail is the owner never seeing his hand 
his role in anything that went wrong, combined yeah. with a benevolent sports market that's like every August, this is the year, this is the quarterback, yes. this is the coach. You know, it's like such a kind market. People just wanted to believe it was possible. But this owner was always ready to fire. Um, and then I think it became un undeniable that, you know, there are some, every NFL owner is a billionaire and they're making money for sure. But there are some NFL owners that, that regard their team as like a public trust. It kind of belongs to the community a bit, like the Roonies and, and the Steelers. Uh, and that never was any aspect of this owner's comportment, word or deed. There was a, just a growing sense that, oh, he's getting over on us. You know, we're being, you know charged for this, charged for that. The product is crappy. Just never any sense that right. this is a communal point of pride. Right. And I am here as a steward uh, of this. And, this is and how much tone deaf. money can I squeeze from this yes. fan base with yes. horrible beer, with high parking yes. prices, Every with ridiculous year. food prices? Obstructed which, views. Yes. yes. <laughs> With raw sewage. Raw sewage. Raw sewage. <laughs> that was Come on. Icing. Yes. Is he yeah. going to be, to your knowledge, uh -huh. is he going to be indemnified by the league against any future lawsuits? The league will never indemnify him at all. I mean, if anything, he needs to indemnify them. So that's not happening. The question is, what part of this deal, if this is the deal that was reported today, if this is the one that the finance committee is going to endorse and the league will approve, um, is there some language in there like we'll indemnify you as the buyer up to x dollar you'd never say forever you right. cap it or you might say a category will indemnify you for things in this but no the league is not interested in indemnifying him do you think uh, my position has always been if they had something to get rid of him on they'd have gotten rid of him do you think will you be surprised if something comes up where you go, oh, that's really bad. I didn't know that was there. I, cer I certainly won't because I know a lot more than we've been able to report. So I feel right. like I know a whole lot of, um, and when I say not able to report, to be clear, just, you know, the sourcing is not strong enough, not like we're protecting anything or like, ooh, that's too damaging. It's just, you know, there's a real standard for putting something in the well, Washington Post. Well, at a real Post. newspaper, there's a yeah, standard. Yeah. At oh, the internet, yeah. there is no so, standard. Um, you know, to your point about the league moving against him, never in a million years would they have voted him out. That's my feeling. They, they, they would have had the votes if it came to that, but they would not. No. But, you know, and I think... I mean, the, the the league is very, very shrewd in running its business. And I think you could see the trajectory, the way this was going, is that he was going to have very few options to um, to con to pay off the $450 million of debt that he took out. So they could have, they could have squeezed him out of the league, you know, in an area that has nothing to do with how he behaved in a social context, strictly in an economic context. They had given him money and the money was going to come due. Well, they, they didn't give him money. They just said, you have permission to blow past our limit. But you then, know, you find the lender. Um, you know, it. there's a point in the horizon that for me, it was that it was going to be, it was hard to see him paying this off. So yeah, could he have appealed that? Could he have sued if they moved against him? So what the league didn't want is litigation. They wanted this to be the owner's choice for whatever reason. Like this is good for my family. This is good for the city. Um, I'm gonna, I bought this for 800 million. I'm walking away with 6 billion. Like what more of a win do you want? You know, they would have preferred, and I think that's what they got is that in the owner's view, this is a win-win-win for me. Um, I will not be booed anymore. My wife will not be booed anymore. I, I don't even live here anymore right now. Um, so I, it makes sense for him. And it didn't have to come to a vote or a lawsuit okay. as yet. I, I, have, I have one question. Well, I have many. But suppose the Mary Jo White report is released before sure. this sale is finalized. Sure. And it is damaging to Snyder. Does that give the buyer leverage 
to reduce the price? Does Snyder want this done before the Mary Jo White report comes out so he can get away clean? I, you know, I think the the looming existence of the Mary Jo White report, what's in it, when is it coming out, has been leverage that the NFL has enjoyed and kept I see. for a reason, in, in, in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there are two categories there. Are, is there criminal evidence that would lead to an indictment, or is there more kind of things that might lead to civil lawsuits about behavior? So kind of who knows? But no, I don't think there there would be any grounds for now we're going to revisit the price at all. Would you be surprised if that Mary Jo White report was never released or just I went would away? Be. I okay. would absolutely be. Okay. I mean, this is a woman not to be trifled with, and okay. they've, they've tried that act once before. Well, that's what now, I thought about Beth Wilkinson. Will there be a couple versions of the report? Will, will there be like... A brutally harsh one, someone that's a, a report that's a little less harsh. I, I, it's conceivable okay. to me. All right, we will take a break. We'll come back. Um, we haven't mentioned Liz's retirement. She's been retired four days. I want to know what <laughs> she she's was done back in, business in this yesterday. period of time. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Dwight Glenn, a member of the Ozark Mountain Daredevils, and he says it's your official classic rock band from the 70s. We're excited to send over our newest single, which will be released worldwide on all the popular streaming services and radio today, Friday, April the 14th. It's our updated version of the song that was our biggest commercial hit, reaching number one on the American pop charts internationally as well. This is Jackie Blue. I remember Jackie Blue. I remember I this song. too. This is Jackie Blue too, which features... On lead vocals, the amazing Molly Healy plays fiddle and cello for the band, an amazing guitar solo by Dave Painter. We're also thrilled to let you know we've been invited by the Smithsonian to play a free concert on the Washington Mall on July 4th of this year Hmm. as part of the Ozark Folklife Festival. Good for them. It's a thrill and an honor for a band now in their 51st year to still be able to entertain fans and friends from all over the country. If you and Michael wanted to play golf at Columbia while we were in town, we wouldn't say no. And be another thrill to meet the gentlemen that entertain us so much with their podcast. I truly hope you so like great. our new take on a song that has meant the world to us. This is Jackie Blue, too. Uh, the Ozark Mountain Daredevils are a band that, that yeah, is in registers. my memory. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's really good. Really good. Um, I said that I wanted to talk about Liz's retirement. How's it going so far? <laughs> What is it, five days? Well, yeah, it was a little, yes. Yeah, I, yes, I've been somewhat involved this week. A little, yeah, a little I would bit. think so. But no, 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 I, I started planning this retirement in over a year ago, you know, thinking I, if at all possible, I'd like to retire at 62. Um, and I have absolutely loved every day of daily journalism. There were 37 years and 25 at the post and I, I could not love my opportunity more but it, it was time kind of you know medically mentally emotionally and plus i have a lot that i want to do in well so my that i wrote chapter. things down yeah have you painted anything have you gone for a walk have you joined a club and are you volunteering because i wouldn't <laughs> do any of these things busting <laughs> move and yes it's been four or five days i have gone for longer walks than normal the beagle has noted that with right. approval that our walks Jack are better dog. yes 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 um i've not joined anything i'm not going to do make any commitment for six months that's beyond like a one-off like oh yes i'll do that volunteer thing this day that is or the like way talk to, go. to this class this day or yeah. you know something like that yeah because i felt like people s- i'm old and people say well when are you going to retire and my feeling is what do you care what i'm going to do <laughs> so and secondly they often say things like i retired and i volunteer at and i go i'm not volunteering at anything no 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 when i work you pay me if you don't want to pay me i get it i don't have to work 
I don't yeah. want to do the volunteer route. Yes. I mean, I, so I, I how do you feel about well, it? Well, there's volunteer shaming out there. I can tell you that. I mean, Explain that. Well, because when I first retired, I did exactly what Liz just said. For six months, no commitment. I don't even yes. think I started taking a drawing or painting class for six months. Six months, I... I read the paper with impunity. Yeah. I woke up every morning grateful that I did not have to manage people. <laughs> yeah. But people began to ask me, are you volunteering? Are you going to volunteer? And I, and I knew I didn't want to volunteer. And I said to these people, who tried to shape me, I worked in high school. Yes. I worked in college. Did I. I graduated from college in June. I got my first job six weeks later. I've worked my whole life. Even when I took a year off to be a ski bum, I worked a split shift at a restaurant. I worked breakfast, and I worked dinner. I've always worked. I don't have anything left for volunteering, okay? I wish everybody well, and I'm happy to contribute. I know that sounds sort of noblesse oblige. I'm happy to support causes, and I do, and there's some that I care very deeply about. But I'm not getting up getting out of the house like yeah. I did for yeah. 50 it's years. Like, all I can think of, it's a t- I understand it's a terrible thing I'm going to say. I'll say it anyway. I don't want to be the guy at Walmart who says, welcome. Yeah. You know, you what aisle would you like to go? I don't want to do that. Well, I, and I don't want to teach a course. You know, they would never ask you. Oh, they wouldn't? To be oh, a, no, my you God. You are so temperamentally ill-suited yeah. to being a Don't greeter. you think he would be great as a docent, you know, at the Museum of Natural <laughs> no, History? No, and I don't want to do that. And yeah. I don't want to teach a course because if I actually taught a course... I would hate all of my students. I would just say, you're not, why are you even in this profession? You're not going to make it. You're not good enough. And they come there wide-eyed and they want, oh, I want your job. You can't have my job. You're not good enough. Simple. I'm not even good enough. It's so good to know oneself. Yes. Yes. No, you're right. Yeah. You know, but is there something you want to do? I mean, is is there some sort of fantasy thing? Even as, uh, like... You Did you want to be a dancer? You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Is there something you want? To- oh, oh yeah. But so you're not talking strictly in the volunteering. Oh category, no, 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 just no. Like to do. Yeah, yeah. No, my list is long, and um, and it's it's things. In other words, that I would give myself permission to really suck at, you know, or you know, like be bad at because, like Jean. I mean, this past Monday was was a revelation. It was the first Monday I had not worked since I was 16 years yes. old. And the list of my jobs is so, so long. So I was I was giddy on Monday. But no, I would I want to learn a lot of things and try a lot of things. So maybe tap dancing, maybe learning the ukulele. Mm. Um, I speak three languages at about a first grade level. So maybe pick one of the three and try to get better. Um, I want to either buy a bicycle or a Vespa and, and depending on my mood, you know, do one or the other. And I'd like to learn to garden a little bit Mm -hmm. and maybe cook a little bit and be like the kind of neighbor people count on. Like, could you do this? When my answer for 25 years is no, I don't know if the paper needs me. I can't, you can't count on me Mm. for anything ever. Right. You know, to like, bake a pie when like somebody's sick like do all these i mean oh 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 and then go regularly to museums i belong to the phillips and the barns in philly you know and just like go and so many things so many movies lectures here in our wonderful city so that i think like oh i wish i could do that but i can't Mm -hmm. Um, so the thing i wanted to do most yes the only thing i've ever wanted to do I wanted to learn how to play the piano. So this is, how Beautiful. long ago is this? 30 yes. years, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I, I tried to learn easier. how to play pray, the piano. Pray for Glenn. Yeah, I'm tone deaf. I couldn't do it. I, oh, but you tried? I tried. That's but I couldn't do it. Yeah. I made no progress. I tried for five or six okay. months. Yeah. I made no progress. I just wanted to play Let It Be. Is that self-diagnosed oh. that you're tone deaf? Yeah. It's like okay. his inability to use the internet. He uh, just doesn't want okay. to. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, you're not tone deaf. <laughs> oh, I just, and somebody can take you and teach you how not to be what you say is tone deaf which which i'd still sort of like to learn i don't when you're young there's every guy in the world when they're young wants to play the guitar or the drums i don't want to do that yeah i'll play the piano have a moped i'd like (laughs) hmm? or have a moped at least when i was growing up go ahead all the boys wanted to have mopeds yeah yeah 
Oh, no. I'm sorry, I shouldn't interrupt. No, no, you no, no. I wanted to play so, the piano. Yeah. I wanted to play the piano. I knew I couldn't sing. It wasn't that I wanted... I could sing to myself. But I wanted to play the piano, and I just had no skills. Yes. None. Do you yeah. have a piano now? Yeah, there's a piano. It's out of tune, but there's a piano so, upstairs. So here's what... I, I've been contemplating this. You get a laptop and plunk it on the top of your piano and start to take piano lessons from the oh. laptop. Oh. They teach you. I don't know I mean, how to plug oh. it away. I don't have a laptop. Well, you have something, doesn't he, Michael? Does he, he does have? not. Uh, what he has is grandkids who are ready to take lessons with him, the same way I had to charge through <coughs> piano lessons with you. And I regret that you let me quit when I did. Uh, picked up the guitar later, but no. If we if we train your ear, like if you if you think of the Star Wars opening, arching uh, stretch of notes, like you can start to hear what a fourth is. You don't know what it's called. But you hear the the distance between those notes, so mm-hmm. we can start doing some scales. You'll be you'll be playing in no time. But you, know I'd what? like to have my own concert when I'm 85 years old. <laughs> yes. Just want to play Let It Be. Carnegie, yeah. Carnegie, Carnegie Hall. You could do that. You could rent Carnegie Hall and do that. But you know, when I was little, Just do you guys remember this? Um, <clears throat> there used to be these cheesy little organs that you could buy. And and they would have like color coded yes. directions. You'd put the little piece of paper up. Could I play ninety six tears on it? Yeah, and it would <laughs> say <laughs> like <laughs> red, green, blue <laughs> da, 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 for ninety six tears. Yeah. And you could play. It would teach you. All you had to do was follow the colors, and you could play the notes. I'm just saying that's like an entry point for your yeah. musical. I'd like to do that. You know, would I'd you like, like a player piano? You know, no, I want to. No, no, I want to play. I want to play the piano. Not I mean, I, in the corner. I'm not <laughs> saying I could play it as lip. well as Jimmy Steinman played it, but well, I'm sure that whether you don't have a laptop or not, I'm sure there is some piece of technology that you can put on your piano that will then walk you through step yeah. by step. I want to get step. better than Tony Beeson. <laughs> We love Tony. That's a high ball. I just want to be better than that. That's all I ever really... It was the one... uh, Everything else I wanted to do, I've done. done. I bet, yeah. I've done. That was the one thing that I wished I had. It's not too late. You sure? I agree. Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't want to paint. I can't paint. I don't want to paint. It's okay. I want to play the piano. We'll see. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, Barry Svalugo will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Roman Warmke. Long-time listener, second-time emailer. You recently bestowed upon me the title of the official five-string bassist of Tony Kornheiser Show when you played my song Grease a few years back. And I'm back for more cash. Attaches an MP3 of our original song, Sneaking Suspicion, from my band The Voodoo Birds, hailing from Southeast Ohio, Athens, home of the Ohio University Bobcats, who are planning a revival show. The band, not the Bobcats, here after a few years hiatus at the Union Bar and Grill on May 20th. That's coming up. You and Michael and Nigel and Reginald, I suppose Edith, are more than welcome to join us for a fun-filled night of music, dancing, fun, laughter. I've set aside a private table featuring Johnny Walker Blue, Tillamook Ice Cream, three boxes of that, not a single Subaru or Cigna employee in sight. (laughs) Thanks for all the years of entertainment, for teaching me the simple pleasures of eating macaroni for dinner over the sink. (laughs) Um, again, this is called Sneaking Suspicion. If people like Roman Warmke and the band um, The Voodoo Birds want to send us original music, Michael, how do they? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And they play in Barry's Verluga. Barry is aware that Liz and Jeannie are here. And we have, look, this happens, and you're a columnist. Bang, you sit down. Doesn't matter what else you had planned. Doesn't matter where else you are. Doesn't matter if you're in Augusta. <laughs> this happens. You're a columnist in the Washington Post, right, Barry? You sit down and you go, right? I love when you play assignment editor. It gets me all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, this is Tony. I would put it this way, and I've, I've mulled this, and I put this in my my column. I'm curious what Liz and Jeannie whether they would agree. But if you think about sports stories in Washington D.C. this century, from from the year 2000 on. Um, the biggest ones are 
you know, baseball returning in 2005 after a 33-year absence, the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup in 2018, the, the Nationals winning the World Series in 2019, you know, maybe you throw Maryland um, National Championship in men's basketball and the Mystics uh, Championship in the WNBA. But I, I, I would argue that the sale of the Washington Commanders now, not just the sale, the Dan Snyder selling that team is is the biggest story of all of them because it's a it's a reset in a way that I think you know ten years ago five years ago a year ago maybe seemed I- impossible that this guy was so defiant even though he was so reviled um, that he would never you know before the the results of the Mary Jo White investigation are unveiled um, seemingly willingly. Uh, you know, move on from the team. I mean, Liz is a much better Snyderologist than than I am, but I, I do think that this is such a seismic shift, and and instantly, um, again, what I wrote in my column is like it, Josh Harris's greatest strength is that he's not Dan Snyder. Like, it doesn't matter who the next person is on this day. We'll get to the part where it matters, and we examine this this next person. But not being Dan Snyder is. Um, a really, it gives you a huge advantage uh, with the fan base just just before you even you know make one decision. I agree completely. Uh, the size of the story. I've said this a lot. I go to the Brookville Pharmacy on Brookville Road in Chevy Chase, Maryland, and across the street, a couple of blocks down across the street, is this sign. It's been out there for about a year. It is in the burgundy and gold, um, and it has the familiar logo that we are not allowed to talk about anymore that was on the team's helmets for X amount of years. And the sign simply says, sell the team. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows. Everybody knows and everybody agrees. I am, as I said to Liz at the beginning of the show, I'm surprised he did it. She is not surprised he did it. Are you surprised he did it? Well, I mean, if if Liz is not, then I have to be swayed that way. And I I do think it depends on, you know, am, am I surprised? If, if you told me in 2010 that he would sell it in 2023, I think I would have been surprised. If you told me in 2018, um, I think I would have been surprised. Um, I do think, you know, you're talking about a, a three-pronged attack that he was under siege with. And the first was the name, and, um, you know, that came in the summer of 2020 when there was all sorts of, of, of racial reckoni- reckoning going on in the country. Um, there was the um you know his minority partners uh essentially going to war with him and he going to war with them um so that he ended up with 100 percent control uh, of the team which would seem to be a position of strength until you get into you know what are his his finances um and then um there's the, the you know myriad investigations that were spurred by Liz and her colleagues reporting on the workplace environment, which was, you know, disgusting and misogynistic and, and reprehensible um, and really affected a lot of people. I, I think, and Sally wrote this this morning, I think it's right, like the women who stepped forward um, and said this is what it was like at Dan Snyder's NFL team, they, they should be commended because they played a huge role in, in getting to this point. So am I surprised? I mean, you know, no, three weeks ago, I, I'm not. But 10 years ago, I, okay. I would have been because he just presented as as so defiant and privileged and bullying that I, I didn't think it possible for him to get backed into a corner where he said, mm-hmm. well, I'll take the $6 billion. I don't know anything about Josh Harris. I know Mitch Rails a little bit because mm-hmm. he started the WTEM station uh, in 1992, the day after Memorial Day. Um but I know that Josh Harris is a D.C. guy. Do you think the league is reluctant at all to bring in another D.C. guy, having seen what happened with Snyder as a D.C. guy, or do you think they embrace that because they think that a D.C. guy will understand how far this thing has fallen and how to bring it back? Well, I think both could be true, and I think you have to trust that the D.C. guy um, who's taking over now is not coming in wearing you know, bur- a burgundy and gold striped sweater waving pom-poms and trying to become part of the the marching band. I mean, the part of, you know, you know, Tony, because you were covering it when Dan Snyder bought the team, like 
oh, I've rooted for this team growing up. It was mm-hmm. fond with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can sound good on the, the surface because he has the same loyalties as, you know, everybody else who grew up in Montgomery County or the district at that time and, and you know, remember the stands bouncing at RFK Stadium and remember the, the three Super Bowls um, with three different quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't run it like a fan. And particularly in those early days, um, you know, when you're picking Bruce Smith and Deion Sanders and, you know, all these Jeff George and, and kind of running it like a fantasy team and being impulsive and getting rid of coaches and all, all that kind of stuff, that's you have to trust that whatever Josh Harris's um, loyalties were and fandom was as he was growing up, it, it's not, he's a, an adult. Um, do I know that for a fact? No, but it doesn't seem like if you look at um, his ownership of the 76ers and the NBA and the Devils and the NHL that he's made a bunch of impulsive decisions that would indicate he's going to run it like a fan. I, I, I would think part of the betting process is, um, okay, sir, you're a mature businessman, right? You're not going to run this um, because in a, in a way that would be influenced by the fact that you grew up rooting for this team. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I wonder... I mean, I don't know him, don't know anything about him. I would think that his inclination or anyone's inclination would buy this team would be to uh, sweep clean, to get rid of coaches, to get rid of executives, to get rid of broadcasters, to just throw everybody out because you would say, I'm sorry, even if you're talented, you're affiliated with that and we're not going to have that on any level. Do you agree with that or disagree with that? I, you know, I think I fall in the camp that I don't know enough to know that about him yep. and what he thinks of this current circumstances. I would say, Tony, that it would be surprising to me if he, you know, I don't know what the timing of this is going to be when it's signed and when the internet is dry and when he's actually in control. I, I think it would be enormously hard to blow out the coaching staff in the front office for the 2023 Oh, yeah, season. not for this year. Yeah, not for this oh, year. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. I mean, going forward, you're, yes, would, would any owner want his own people to a certain degree? Absolutely. But is there a, a little bit of a feeling out process and time for that with everyone from, um, you know, Ron Rivera to Jason Wright, the team president, to um, whoever heads tickets to whatever? Like, this is, this is a, I would say 2023 is a, um, let's slice open the operation here and dissect it and, and if there are people who are good at their job and are doing a good job, then not, I'm not above keeping them. But, um, you know, it would not be surprising uh, if he had people who, you know, when he took over the 76ers and tickets were down and, and the, the um, team was at a low ebb, but built it uh, on the business side, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if, if he had people with his other franchises who he thought understood the direction he wanted to go to, to bring him in. But I don't, I don't you know. I don't think this is going to be a summer of bloodletting just from a practical uh, standpoint. Uh, Should we anticipate a new stadium within the District of Columbia border? You know, I already started sending feelers out about that. And and as Liz knows and knows way better than me, I mean, it's so complicated because, um, you know, the district doesn't own the land around RFK. um, That's, uh, you know, National Park Service land. And um, there is not insignificant um, pushback from the D.C. Council. Um, in fact, some uh, literature saying, you know, you, we can't use that land for um, for a football stadium. And list, is that binding? I don't even know where we're at with that. The D.C. Council, I mean, stop with the D.C. Council. Um, they, don't, they don't speak for anybody. If you could get a new stadium inside the district line, I think that everybody would want that. Well, Harris's two arenas for the 76ers and the Devils are both in the city. Yeah. Which, to me, I thought might be a good sign. You yeah. know, my understanding so, is I mean, that- yeah, Barry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really worry about the, the, I mean, the D.C. Council. You know, they're like out of a Marx Brothers movie. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't worry about them. No? Well, I just would say, so, Tony, if you're saying viscerally, like, what what could make Josh Harris, um, you know, fully embraced from very early in his tenure? You know, one is, as I said, he's not Dan Snyder. Two, if he identified and was able to execute politically and financially a a stadium at the RFK site. Like, nobody 
I don't care if you you live in Loudoun County or you live in Howard County in in Maryland, and and you you think like, oh, it'd be convenient for nobody would say, oh, RFK, that would be terrible. Um, no, you know, no, right? just, no. Just from a fan standpoint, everybody would love that. No, yes. no. Can I just chime in two seconds? Uh, like Barry, you're so good, you're so clear. But yeah, there's enormous hurdles, and uh, but there was no way Dan Snyder politically was going to get a stadium anywhere. So uh, the first step is the federal government either selling or ceding control of the land to D.C. And then, as Barry points out, it is a decision of the D.C. Council how to use this land, and then what are the covenants well, But a strong mayor can stand up oh, yeah, and no, say, I'm not saying there was that's a stadium here before that people loved, and there's yeah, going to yeah, be a yeah, stadium yeah. here again. Yeah. I think the huh? question, the, the 2023 question, is not really the stadium. It's, as you know, NFL stadiums these days are not used 10 times a year. They are the center of vast commercial developments that run 365 days a year. There's hotel, restaurants. So can you have commercial development on the RFK site, not just a stadium exemption? And then um, if so, who's the landlord of that? Who's going to make the money from all the ancillary development? If you look at what happened with the Nats Park and all the right. explosion of development yeah. there. Like, who's going to make the money? Anybody who builds a stadium today in the NFL wants it part of an e- economic ecosystem that, that goes, sense. goes, goes. That makes sense. So it, it gets kind of complicated, but that's the place you got to put it. Sorry. Barry, this is a, a sort of an odd question. I don't know if you thought of it. Do you think the sale of this team will have any effect on the sale of the Nationals? Mm. You know, um, I'm, you know, concurrently gathering information on that, and I'm obviously plugged in on the actual reporting of, of that sale much more. Um, yeah. I don't think that they are uh, are related, really. I mean, the, the, the suitors were not the same. There was not an overlap. There wasn't a single overlap in, in suitor, um, as mm-hmm. far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. The prices are much different. You're looking at probably something just north of $2 billion for, for the Nationals. Um, and, and then, you know, there is the, uh, you know, it's a completely different model, Tony, as, as you know, if you want to get in the weeds, but the NFL is propped up by national media rights. Yes. Um, the most important revenue stream for a um, Major League Baseball team is local. local media rights. The local media rights of the Nationals are a disaster and have been a disaster for 18 years. And there needs to be clarity uh, on that um, going forward. I mean, what we know about the Nats is they're kind of officially on pause and the learners are going to run the, the um, team for the rest of the season. But I would look for some incremental developments in the next month or two that might um, allow Ted Leonsis's bid to, to move forward. But to answer your question, um, I think they are kind of in two different silos. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I just wondered, you know, I wondered about that. I think that everybody is relieved and happy and anticipating, I mean, I think the goodwill, it'd be tough for Josh Harris to screw up the goodwill, don't you think, yes. Barry? I mean, he'd really have to work at it to screw it up. I, I think he would really have <laughs> to work at it. I, I mean, I think the, the grace period, I mean, I, I think I threw this in my column, like, it's almost like the grace period lasts a, a decade by default. I mean, it's just, he, he would have to actively take missteps. And, and if he's, you know, if he is a DC person and he has any sort of, um, he's followed this over over the last 24 years. He understands all the missteps and pratfalls. Not not only like just as, not only as a businessman and watching how did you run this you know previously pillar of the NFL completely into the ground, but just as a human being. Like like how did you interact with your fan base? How did you treat people? Like that just I would think that wouldn't even take any any thinking on on a normal person's part. It's like no, you don't <laughs> act that way. You don't. You don't come into this club of NFL owners making demands and, and throwing your elbows around. You, you, you realize your privilege to be there um, and, and just by default being not Dan Snyder and not acting like Dan Snyder, yeah. it would seem like um, you'd have a, a, a tremendous amount of leeway. I agree. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. We'll talk soon. Barry's for Luga, so boys much, and girls. We will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, 
where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. One, two, three, four. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your email, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of your folks. That's Greg Rosendahl and Lindsay Merrill. We love listening to that all the time. Nigel, our house brand bagels or Bethesda bagels, would you like to do that? Yes, we love Bethesda bagels. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com, forward a location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag in honor of Liz, let's just do this. Screen door slams. You want to take it from there? Mary's dress waves. Well, that's the big issue. Does it sway or does it wave? Oh. The I mean... Mary's dress waves. You think it is waves, not sways. I think Bruce says it sways. Yeah. Like a vision, she dances across the porch as the radio plays. Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me and I want you only. Don't turn me home again. I just can't face myself alone again. Is that not beautiful? I can do all of it. I can do the whole song if you want. Liz can do the whole song. And you did. did. (laughs) Yesterday, (laughs) I did the whole song. By the way, uh, that uh, Beach Boys special. uh, Yeah. Tremendous seeing Bruce Springsteen on that, praising the Beach Boys in a small little cutaway. Because you can imagine that that Bruce Springsteen is my age. He yes. grew up. He listened yeah, to this. Yeah. He's sitting in you know Southern New Jersey, and he goes, "Wow, that's California." Yeah. I mean, everybody in the East. Yes. Everybody needs. Thanks to our guests today, Barry's Verluga, Liz Clark, Gene McManus. Thanks to our sponsors today, Rocket Money, Grammarly, Game Time. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Tim Cree in Fort Collins, Colorado. Just so you know. The guy who invented the Pringles can was, at his request, cremated when he died and buried inside a Pringles no. can. No! And it was a can of original flavor. Being cremated and buried in a can of barbecue flavor would have been gauche. I think that's good. From Bob Shearer, like Sonny and Scherer. Scherer, Bob Shearer, Keller, Texas. I'm an airline captain for a charter company based in Fort Worth, Texas. Sunday afternoon, April the 2nd, we picked up golfers having played at the Valero Open. Mm. As I looked through the passenger manifest, I noticed a familiar name, Steve Sands. I was overcome with the anticipation of what I could possibly say to Sandsy if our paths would cross. Well, in the waiting area, there he was, thankfully in a sponsored golf shirt. I walked past and I said unto you, sir, a hearty lechiserie. He laughed, but it wasn't until a few seconds later that he realized what I had said. We (laughs) chatted briefly and I enjoyed the moment. Two hours later, we landed in Augusta. I thanked Sansi for flying and wished him well. He said he'd mention our passing on the pod, but alas, he did not. So to Sansi, a hearty TK salute, and thanks for making my day. <laughs> Bob Sherry. Um, listening to Barry and Sans talk about the Masters reminds me of my big trip to the Masters. Much like Tony, we were in a fully stocked private house with an IMG intern ready to bring us whatever we wanted at any time. Yes, sir, I can bring you four cigars, four cheeseburgers, and a bottle of red wine at 11.30 p.m. We started the morning off exploring Berkman's Place, and hitting some putts on the replica greens after walking the course brag. and hitting up the merch tent, we headed back to Berkman's. As we headed out, I saw none other than the great Sansi. It appeared he was giving a walking tour to a group of VIPs. It was practice round. Not wanting to interrupt him, I waited until there was a break in his presentation to discreetly walk over and give him an Augusta-appropriate lachiserie. He immediately stopped what he was doing, shook my hand, and said it was good to see me and asked how I was doing. Our interaction was very brief, but without a doubt, the highlight of my first trip to Augusta. As we walked away, the bigs I was with looked at me in awe and said, Are you friends with Steve Sands? I smiled and said, Yes. <laughs> I'll close with yet another brief connective tissue story. The hopeful Tillamook PR guy from earlier this week, Andy Lusich, is one of my best friends from college and was a groomsman in my wedding. We've spent many hours texting and talking about your show. I'm certain if he gets a job, he will be sending many boxes of that your way. And more importantly, I am hopeful be- he will move out of his parents' basement before we turn 40 this year. But of course, he can still eat it. Thanks for all the years of laughs and entertainment. Dave Martin in Houston, Texas. If you're ever out this way, I'd be happy to host you and Michael at Champions Golf Club and even arrange for some time for you to meet the great Jackie Burke Jr. Isn't that sweet? From Nick Sharkey in Escanaba or Escanaba, Michigan. How does an amateur like Sam Bennett afford Johnny O? Did he use your code? <laughs> Is Johnny wetting his beak a bit? From Nick in Honolulu, Hawaii. I've been a PTI viewer since its inception, a podcast listener since you made your first shameless plug on national television. I'm an eye doctor in Honolulu. 
I see this particular problem that plagues you multiple times per week. It can appear very dramatic, which often brings people in to see us. You have a subconjunctival hemorrhage, which is almost always exclusively benign as long as you see a doctor with some reasonable regularity. This would assume your blood pressure and general blood chemistry is within normal limits. The conjunctiva is a clear jelly-like tissue that covers the white part of your eye, the sclera. There are tiny delicate blood vessels that span the space between your sclera and conjunctiva, which commonly break or leak into the cavity between these tissues. A good cough, sneeze, or any sign of effort will cause a seepage, your word, not mine. Depending on how quickly the leak stops, it can take between 5 to 15 days to resolve, sometimes leaving a yellowish-brown appearance for a few days before it's back to normal. There's nothing to do. Don't go to the hospital. I'm a millennial. I've never lived near D.C. I don't mind a good Subaru. I understand only a handful of your old guy references. However, I never miss a show. Thanks for the laughs. It went away. Went it away did. in about eight days. Yeah. It just so sort of went away. Okay. This is, this comes from Jim, from Leslie Thomas, rather, in Hillsborough, North Carolina. I know this is a tad late, but it just happened. My niece, Carolyn, met some of the midshipmen that we sponsored at a Navy versus Duke football game when she was five years old. Here's a photo of her with Christian Horak and David Whitehead. And I hold up the photo for people on News oh, Channel 8. It's a very sweet photo. Flash forward 32 years. Carolyn is now an Army doctor and is finding a seat on a military transport plane on her way overseas. She sees a guy with the name Horak on his backpack and she says, hey, do you know Leslie Thomas? Sure enough, he does. And when they landed, they recreated the photo. <laughs> oh, they recreated that, the oh photo. that is cool. It makes me smile every time I see it. Yeah, From Kenny, Kevin Boyer uh, in Columbia, Missouri. I won't be the only one, I'm sure, to object to your description of Route 66 as coast to coast. Although it does end near the Santa Monica Pier against the Pacific Ocean. The eastern edge of the road is against the coast of Lake Michigan, Chicago to be more specific. I've driven the whole road, now I-55, I-44, and I-40. I-44 cuts across the northern edge of the Ozarks through Missouri, and frequent stops have to be made in Uranus, Missouri, where the now famous Uranus Fudge Factory is located. Happy drive. Kevin Goldberg in D.C. In 2006, I was in Istanbul, not Constantinople, taking a few days off before returning home to D.C. For a long tire, from a long, tiring conference. It was my first time in the city. I was walking to a particular restaurant recommended to me. The map said I needed to go three streets up, one street over. As I'm walking down one of the side streets, the middle of the three, as I recall, guy comes out of a building at just the right time, passes me, stops, walks back, and says, Hey, are you from D.C.? Me? Yeah. Him? Yeah, you live in DuPont Circle. Me? Well, I work there. Him, you go to Kramer Books for lunch a lot. Stop. I go to Raku next door about two to three times a week, but I browse in Kramer Box Books a lot too. Yeah, I recognized you. Turns out he used to live in DuPont Circle, but returned to Istanbul to take over his family's rug business. He invites me up for lunch, teaches me all about the rug business, then takes me out with some of his friends to show me non-tourist Istanbul, none of which would have happened if I'd gone down one of the other two streets or been more convicted or hesitant in my decision about which one to take. And yes, I did buy a rug. Now let's see if we can go for one in a trillion, a response from a loyal little named Recep in Istanbul. That is so cool. From Steve the Sycophant. I was happy to hear you mention the great John McPhee in his book about Bill Bradley. As you noted, Mr. McPhee is a professor at Princeton, and he's been writing for The New Yorker since, I believe, the 1960s. He was Remnick's professor He's now Princeton. Is that right? He's yeah. now 92 mm-hmm. and still wow. going strong. All little should run, not walk, and buy his classic coming into the country. Better writing does not exist. It's true. John McPhee is as good as it's ever gotten, right? As that good as Bill it's ever Bradley gotten. Bill Bradley book is just... Yeah. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. You know, they all get involved, and they all got their gear already, and so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black. And, you know, it's all coming back. <laughs> So 
Yeah. <laughs> 